This is Steve Shoney. I'm the city manager for the city of Up Arlington, and that was our good friend, good friend of the show, Colin Gal, with his song podcast, our officially licensed um, theme song. I'm here with my co-host, sidekick. 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 Darren Shulman. I'm the city attorney. And we're starting off uh, this episode with a conversation about one of the great organizations in our community, one of the organizations that um, does some of the things that are most quintessentially Upper Arlington, the Upper Arlington Community Foundation. And we're ho- Civic it- Association. Oh, God. What a- <laughs> it's way too early. So for our regular listeners, uh, as you might have figured out, Darren and I tend to be a little bit of creatures of habit. You're going to go inside baseball. You're I'm going to go inside happened. baseball. Darren was late. Um, I was kind of flustered. Um, I'm sitting in the wrong chair. And I took his chair. Nicole Montgomery <laughs> took my chair. And I literally said she was going to move. And I said, it's okay because if Steve screws up, which he never does, he can blame it on the chair. And literally two seconds into the episode, you screwed up. I screwed up. See, it was – and I just meant to do that. It was, it was part of the joke. That's what I was saying. It's now. all part of the plan. <laughs> I, I set that up purposely. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing excellent, and you? Good. On our uh, on our podcast on the on the main, uh, we talked earlier about um, how we have two different segments, which you would know if you'd listened to some of these. <laughs> um, Listen, all my time is spent volunteering for the events for UA. I mean, you can put headphones on while you're volunteering <laughs> and listen. I have two kids and a full time job. <laughs> Kids would not. This is that's how the target audience. Yeah. They would be, they would so, be bored. So typically, we we at the beginning of every one of our kind of um, second segment interviews, we do something that we call start bench cut, which is I'm going to give you three things you have to say. If this was a team, um, which one would you have in your starting lineup? Which one would you have on the bench? And which one would you cut? Okay. The bear, the gold jackets, or the golf carts. Ooh. I know that we would probably cut the gold jackets. They are not a, a fan, uh, or people are not a huge fan, especially during the 4th of July with a big wool like gold coat and it's 90 degrees outside. I know it's quintessential. That's how you identify us in the community, but boy, they're really uncomfortable. Um, starting lineup would definitely be the bear. And then what was the third? Sorry. It was the golf carts. Oh, golf carts yep. would be benched. On the bench, it's nice to have them. Like yeah. you know, they're there if you need yeah. them, but it, they're not. Like, that's a that's a yeah. Well done, Darren. That's yeah. the appropriate place for the golf carts. I would, I would think you know so. they're great. We love them. It's a nice perk, you know. Of um, you know, it's kind of like that. Hey, you first year, you it was hot. You spun the bear in the parade. You know, you get to the end, and wow, guess what? You put on that hard work, and the next year we're gonna give you the gift of the golf cart since you know you put in that hard work through the the first year. So it's kind of like a a second year, you know, pat on the back. You did it. Good job. Um, but we can't ever not have – you can't bench the bear. No, you can't bench the bear. Like, that's just – I'm concerned about these gold jackets. Like, <laughs> is there another, like, material we can get so people don't have heat stroke can, or something? Can you get them in linen? Yeah. Um, well, Actually, you know, they might be kind of cool. That might look kind of wrinkly considering we move around a lot. But, you know, hey, I, I mean, we could. We have a lot of other items too. I mean, jackets that are for winter. We have polos. We have hats. You know, there's just other ways you can identify us. The gold coat doesn't – <laughs> would you be willing to wear real gold? Like, I mean, it'll be heavier. Oh yeah, like Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, came would and, you be like, willing to do that for, for the sake of recognition? Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, anything for the community. Just some gold thread through it to just kind of give it a little, <laughs> a little sheen. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. just give us a little flair. Yeah. 
Because that wouldn't make us look elitist at all. <laughs> we <laughs> got sure real that's gold. Not in, that's not in the budget. <laughs> real gold in our jacket. That's how much money we have. So for those who don't know, the Civic Association is the group that actually runs the fireworks, mm-hmm. uh, that runs the parade, mm-hmm. uh, runs Golden Bear Scare, Yes. Um, runs uh, Winterfest. Or Christmas what in the Park. Christmas in the Park. The 5 a.m. sign-up one. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's I, like I don't know race. about it because I don't get up that early. So. It's a race. You got to yeah. get up, be right there. So if you want Parker to see Santa, um, yeah. you're going to have to get up pretty early. Yeah. For reals? For reals. For reals. It's that much of a hot ticket. Huh? Oh, yeah, it is. And you have to pay your dues. You have to be a member. Okay. I mean, that's that's okay. It's the 5 a.m. <laughs> part. Can it, you yeah. pay someone else to get in line for you? Is that allowed? I mean, that's on you. Yeah, sure. It could be a business. <laughs> you could you could set up a little. You could not. No, but someone, as I'm telling our chief ethics officer, yeah. <laughs> you cannot set up a business that's built around getting people access to the city. Just yeah. to be clear, um, this is another thing that frequent that has happened not frequently, more than once, where I have to tell the city attorney. He, he gives me the legal <laughs> advice on the show. I give it to him off the show. Yeah. Um, so let's back up for a minute because we started trying to be silly. Um, what is the UA Civic Association? So, you know, over the years, I mean, the Civic Association started, I mean, way back at the first founding of, you know, when UA actually kind of became a community. And at first, it was started as a way to welcome people who were new to moving into the area. It was, They would do, like, um, dances and galas and, and hops, you know, whatever you want to call them, to kind of welcome people in the community so they could all get to know one another and and, and function. We also, I think, we're um, the Civic Association was the first founder of the sewage system. Wait, what? For, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, Mark Gable is on our board of trustees, and he also serves in the Historical Society. He is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to facts about the Civic Association. I highly encourage you put him on this podcast because he, he's great. Uh, but yeah, so it, that was the kind of thing. So we started like founding the community, even from a financial standpoint. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the water and the sewage systems were um, raised by the money was raised by the Civic Association to kind of to get UA up and going as a, a fully functional community. So obviously, we've evolved since then. Now we we put on you know a lot more fun things and raise money for you know fun activities for families. Um, and children here in the community. Uh, we are 100% funded by donations. So when you go in and you pay your membership, that's what helps fund us being able to put on these events, including 4th of July. Everything we do is 100% funded by the community. So uh, we do have excellent partners like the city, you know, where we are lucky enough to utilize, you know, the parks and rec and, you know, some of that. But um, as far as everything else, we that's, that's kind of how we function, and, and everything we do revolves around the community. And, uh, you know, we do have <clears throat> our directors. It's a, a two-year term. You serve two years. You get placed in your event, and um, we're, we, we run. I, what is it? I think we're sitting at 36 directors this year. We upped it a little bit um, just because events are have a little more uplift. And us, 36, are we're it. That's yeah. how we... That's how we put on these events. And we do have some great support from our alumni that do come back to some of the bigger events for the uplift. But um, I don't think people realize how hard it is to put on something huge like a 4th of oh, July yeah. fireworks. It's not just like, oh, 
light off some sparklers and yeah. you know, talk to someone at the city or something? No, absolutely not. And, and you know, thank goodness we have um, our 4th of July uh, directors. I think they serve, it's a little bit longer of a term. They're already starting to plan for next year's fireworks. So that's a full year of planning, obviously, you know, with contracting and working with the city yeah. and making sure that we mind all our P's and Q's and, and, and hold a great event for, um, for the community that kind of addresses everybody. Well, and I think it, it's something that I think people are confused about sometimes. The city, the only thing that we spend money on, taxpayer dollars on, um, for the 4th of July is the staffing. Yep, police. You guys help us with that police yep. presence. And, you know, it is nice. We, we get to use Northam Park, and, you know, we are utilizing that. Um, so it, it is a true partnership, and we're really thankful for that. There's no way we'd be able to do that without that that type of partnership. But the uplift and, and having people really understand to, to no fault of the city, but the city does not financially execute or plan the fireworks. It is all of us, you know, just as community volunteers that, that pull that off. Yep. So. Well, thank you, because a lot of places the city does have to yeah. figure that out and do fundraising and things like that. So it's a huge service that you provide the residents yeah. and, and the city. Yeah, absolutely. And we love it. I mean, it's so much fun. You, there's nothing like riding down the parade and, you know, seeing everybody kind of yelling, you know, spin the bear and, and seeing, you know, just the, the faces of the kids and, and really enjoying that day. It is one of the most uh, quintessential community events I think I've ever attended. So I think we're really lucky to still have that. And, and our own uh, master of the <laughs> of the big board here, uh, Mr. Hedge, is, uh, are you one of the directors? or just, Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what is your assignment, Mr. Hedge? Uh, corporate sponsorship. Oh, corporate sponsorship. That sounds <laughs> so fascinating. Uh, much Corpor- better than fireworks. <laughs> so, so if any of our 10 listeners um, own a business and want to uh, <laughs> want to sponsor something with the Civic Association, uh, send something to Brian's personal email, not his work email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could send it to the president's email, and I'll pass it along, yeah. too. So, yeah. Uh, we... Again, I well, you know, oddly enough, that's probably one of our, our most important roles as a director. Again, like we we couldn't be able to pull this off without sponsors and with membership. So very important. So you guys um, have your kind of one of the things that's I think I would imagine is both great and challenging about being the president of the UA um, Civic Association is it is a group that is steeped in tradition. Mm-hmm talk about kind of how you want to evolve, how the the organization's thinking about evolving itself and evolving the kinds of things that you guys do yeah uh, it's interesting you you bring that up because I will say you know a lot of my presidency this year has been centered around how are we evolving and how are we making sure that we are staying true to what our community wants and representing our community, you know, part of that is inclusion. It's looking at, you know, how do we really broaden out our membership? How do we make sure people understand who we are and what we truly do? So that way we genuinely um, represent our community in the most appropriate way. And, and obviously that's a difficult thing to do. I think about in this day and age, you know, there's there's a lot of different um, modalities for communication and what people want and sharing of opinions. and. Because we have been so steeped in tradition, we have to take into consideration, okay, how do we keep true to who we are and and those traditions that are so important that, you know, kind of define, if you will, air quotes, um, the UACA, uh, but also be more inclusive of, you know, the changes that we're seeing in our community. And I think that out of COVID, 
we've seen an awful lot of, you know, uptick in interest in being involved in community events. I mean, we were kind of stagnant there for a while. Now people are kind of coming out and getting back out and wanting to be more involved in community. And so we've really had to address and listen to the voices of our of the people that live here in UA. And as president, I've done my best to be their voice, to go back and say, hey guys, how can we make this more inclusive? How can we make sure that we are truly representing the constituents of Upper Arlington? And can we change everything all at once in one year? Absolutely not. You know, it, it there's just too much in it. But will we listen and will we try to, you know, make sure we are taking steps every year to do better? Absolutely. And that's really what my goal has been as president, you know, this year is how do we make sure that we are realigning ourselves to to truly be what our mission states us to be? And that's an organization that serves our community. And, you know, I got to imagine that's really hard because um, you're all volunteer. Mm -hmm. You run very complicated events and events that are loved. And I've seen the binders that each of your directors have about how to pull off each event. And we've had some things where we, you know, with Northam, with all the construction, it's like, okay, we have to move this. And for a volunteer who's got a day job and kids and parents and all this kind of stuff, it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I got enough trouble just implementing the book. Now you're telling me I actually got to move everything around. I got to imagine that for a group of volunteers, it's really hard to think strategically and not just tactically is that one of the things that you guys kind of are struggling through yeah and i would say you know i, I think that it's it's nice that the way that we're structured with um serving a two-year term as a director and each director is assigned an event so depending on you know you have uh, christmas in the park is obviously going to be a little more of an uplift so we have four directors that serve on that one and then you know fourth of july is is, is more than that um but the way that we serve allows us, I think, to be strategic while still, you know, giving our time to do the tactical things that we yeah. need to do. So the first years learn from their second years. Yeah. The second year directors are there to be mentors to those first years to teach them the ins and outs. But also what I've really encouraged this year specifically is, hey, guys, let's reevaluate. Like, listen to people that are coming in and are new. And let's, let's hear those new ideas and let's implement them where we can without, you know, a huge change. But I also think, again, another thing that COVID did for us was making us have to really learn how to think on the fly and pivot. I know it's like the friends saying, pivot, pivot. <laughs> that was kind of our theme last year. We, we did a lot of pivoting. And I think that when you really care about an organization and what what we're doing and how it impacts the community, you're willing to kind of give that little more percentage to do what you need to do to get it to, to be what it needs to be. So um, I think our structure really aligns well for us to be able to be strategic and tactical at the same time. Um, but, you know, it is still a lot of work. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to reposition yourself into some, you know, 22nd century organization, you could look to the past and go back to the sewers. I mean, there's no other yeah, issues that are doing that. Absolutely. Cutting edge. Like, go back to your roots, but look towards the future. Everyone loves sewers. You know, and and, and sewers sewers are going to be the thing of the future because with more serious rain events, all that sort of stuff, trust me, we, we, um, we are happy to send – uh, every water and basement call over to you as the Civic Association president. You'll be the most popular people in the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do send out, you know, in the water bill, we do send out, hey, you want to donate? Yeah. You know, that, that goes you out. You want to donate to our new sewer initiative? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, if people did want to get involved with the Civic Association, 
Um, what's the best way for folks to learn more, to figure out how to uh, get involved in, and really dive into giving back to this community a little bit? Well, first and foremost, uh, we live in a world of social media. So go on to our Instagram, Facebook. We're, we're there. We have all of that set up. Um, follow us. Attend our events. And while you're attending, walk up to a director and say, hey, you know, I'd really love to learn more. And, and set up a time to, to meet with either myself or one of the officers. Um, and we'll, we love sitting down and talking with people about who we are and what we do. We have a website. You can go on. We're actually getting ready to kick off its recruitment season. Uh, we will be having our recruiting event in November. So applications are open now. Anybody can go on to the UACA.org uh, website and fill out an application to become a director. And then um, my sidekick, uh, Jordan Bronstein, which is uh, the VP this year, which will be stepping into my shoes next year, is currently setting up times to meet with people who are interested in learning more and becoming a director. Wait, so you have an application process, and yet Hedge got through that somehow? I know. I mean, I had to pull some strings. <laughs> <laughs> so there's hope for everybody who's interested. Everybody. Everybody. Well, thank you very much for taking uh, time out of, your, out of your morning this morning and coming on with us and uh, for giving so much of uh, your time and talent over the last couple of years um, in this role. And I know you'll continue to stay involved, too. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. Podcast. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. Click the link, listen to our podcast. Yeah. We're very excited today to have uh, another great resident of Upper Arlington with us. He is the president and CEO of the Columbus Foundation, uh, somebody who I've had the opportunity to work with on a number of things. Uh, primarily in one of my past lives, but um, still talk to him periodically on stuff around here. Uh, Doug Kreidler. Doug, welcome. Thank you. So you will be talking then about your past life as a riverboat gambler? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, Steve. It was a You know, it, there were days where it felt like being a riverboat gambler. And, yeah, I and didn't know that was safe to go there. So no. This would uh, <laughs> be great. Maybe I'll interview Although the you. problem is my wife my wife listens to this podcast, oh. and she doesn't know about that part of my history. Okay. She's one of our five listeners. It's my wife, Darren's dad, and, and a couple of other people. But um, The weekly guest, maybe, the, the, <laughs> for their episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about half the time they actually listen to our ep their episode. Um, so, no, uh, that's right. I, I did do a little bit of riverboat gambling with you. Not <laughs> not true riverboat gambling. No. But, um, was it the kind of riverboat that doesn't ever leave, like in Indiana? Or were you like, actually on one of those old Mark Twain wheeled ship things? Yeah. It, it was, that would date us. That would yeah. date us, yeah. No, and occasionally it was Doug and I being slapped with really big problems. And people say, yeah, go figure this out. And we're yeah. like, yeah. All right. You gotta well, you got to take risks, and you know, you have big visions. Yep. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we do to start every interview is um, we do something called start bench cut. So I've listened to podcasts. I listen to sports podcasts, and um, the concept is we're going to give you three things. Uh -huh. And if this was a sports team, which one do you start? Which one do you bench? Which one do you cut? So I'm, we're going to give you two, and I'm going to give you start you off with an easy one. And then an even better one. So you say you're... You, and actually, wait. Before you do that, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so basically, one of, the, one, of the, one of the three things is your, like, keeper. You're keeping them with you. The second one is kind of in reserve. Uh -huh. And the third one 
gone forever. Like my pets, my kids, my, my so uh, yes. uh, that, that kind of thing. yeah. We wouldn't so, do that. We wouldn't do that to your pets and your kids. Though. That's not no. Fair. no We're sporting at least. No. So start you said, bench or cut. Start bench or cut. You gave. You said you're a big Cleveland sports fan. I am. Guardians, Browns, Cavs. So one is your favorite. One you kind of like. They're around, and then one's like relocated and gone from Cleveland. Wow. Uh, and you have to assign one. Yeah, yeah that's yes. the trick. We, this we is do the it, trick. We, we make it hard on purpose. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, it would be easier on a lot of people's mental health if the Browns were cut <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> Someone's made that decision before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess that. That might I, be the best cut answer we've ever had. Yeah, it's like it that's, happened. That's pretty brilliant. Uh, you know, hard to cut a guardian or bench the guardians when they're bringing us such a fun, youthful, mm-hmm. uh, beyond the odds kind of uh, entertainment. Uh, but I, so I guess I'd bench the Cavs but I love them too so young and full of spirit well coached uh so I guess if you know I'd start the Guardians based on what they've accomplished and uh, really how well they're managed too Uh, you know it's really something so that was your warm-up okay now you know the concept yeah so I grew up in Cincinnati and one of the I I don't I don't really have a lot of schadenfreude in my heart you know where I take pleasure in other people's pain but the Browns is, is one of those yeah. um, places. Um, so here's your other one. And this is, um, you know, about Cleveland number ones. So start bench cut. Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel, Tim Couch. Number one quarterbacks. Number one. Number, number one, one draft quarterbacks. Number one draft pick quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns. So d- cut uh, Johnny Manziel. Okay. Um, you know, hard to argue with his – uh, um, performance as a human. Uh, yeah, he, was, he uh, was as strong off the field as he was on the field. Yes, yes. There you go. Uh, and he's made so much of himself afterwards too. Yeah. So. Um, I would cut. Uh, I mean, I I would bench. Um, couch, and and I would start Baker, even though that's not popular in in Columbus because of his flag planting. Uh, escapades. I mean, the kid, yeah, a kid relatively, yeah. uh, has a lot of heart, and um, you know he might be stubborn and maybe didn't do the Browns any favors last year uh, playing when he was hurt. But you know, I think you you get a full effort from him, and he's you know he's sort of playing uh, with a lot of a lot of guts and gumption. All right. You were, you were, your, yours was couch, right? You're going to start. I was going to start couch just because I, I think he performed better. But I actually, I like your answer about hmm. um, uh, Baker because I think he's got the potential. He's got the heart of, 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 of not, if not a champion, I would say, I mean, I don't think we've seen that. But, and a lot of people I know, they just say he's sort of petulant. Uh, but, um, he he just he lays it on the line when he's playing, and you know there's a lot to like about that. And I think he's got the potential to be as good off the field as Manziel was. Yeah. Poor off the field. Yeah. 
So yeah. I think I think I'll give you oh, some I credit. see how you twisted that around. I thought you were making like a he is Manziel, but you're saying he's the opposite. No, he can he he could be as good a human being. So you're right now now you're the CEO of the Columbus Foundation, president and CEO of the Columbus Foundation. But <laughs> one of the things. That you, right, we're, are we done with this segment? Of we're not going to trick you anymore. We're Your done. misery is over. So now. This, is, this is my transition out of this. <laughs> oh, good, because I didn't want to cut or bench any donors. Or <laughs> <laughs> now we're going we're gonna to go through your board members. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, of which we've already mentioned one, which is the fabulous Lisa Ingram. Um, uh, I, well, we talked about her before we got on. She's, she, she actually came into the podcast with the best shoes um, that we've ever had anybody show up to the podcast. And she came in. Oh, clearly. No, she came in with her uh, White Castle uh, collaboration Pumas that she I bet you those looked great on radio. <laughs> I, we, well, and, and we were. This is not make for good radio. You're correct, but we were so flabbergasted by them that we literally like spent ten minutes like looking at them and talking about wow. the shoes. And then we were so there was just like phone. silence on podcast well, we for like, ten I, minutes. We're like, I found it on my phone. There's another kind. It's blue. Like we we, we fill the air. Don't worry. Oh, we, we, okay. we find right. things to right. fill the air with. Right. Um, so well, sorry to disappoint on my shoes. I, the, I will what, say they're not on. They're shoes. not on foundation brand or anything. Oh no. <laughs> We'll see. You don't have a collaboration with like ASICs or something? Yeah, Come on. Right. Before you got into doing your great work at the foundation, um, you were doing concert promotion. Am I remembering that right? Yes. I uh, And running CAP and a couple other things. Yeah, and I toured with Boss Gags, toured with Journey, toured, who was touring with the Stones. So I guess by association, I, was, I toured with the Stones and presented over a thousand concerts. So um, Those are some like legit bands yeah that's better than when colin came in and talked about touring with the insane clown posse so you've reached a higher a slightly higher level than the insane clown posse although i guess we should give you the opportunity did you ever tour with them as well no i got offered to uh tour with kiss but fortunately that fell now not as a musician uh but to you know that that uh fell through but I was actually thankful for that because I don't think I could have endured that but you know Colin is uh, a truly uh, distinctive uh, long-running attraction uh, musically and civically and so since you mentioned him I just want to give him a shout out because uh, he's a real asset uh, in all sorts of ways and just such a, a good spirit um, and the fact that he's at a place where you can encounter him uh, frequently uh, in his own shop, uh, you know, really helps spread that um, uh, joy uh, and interest in music, but also just through that life. Yeah. Can you share any stories about your touring with these I have. bands? I, mean, I have literally so many stories. I mean, I, you know, I don't know the average listener of this podcast but uh, we, we don't either <laughs> it's uh, so it's my wife it's your dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the, truly the full range from you know miles davis to uh you know santana to opening the uh, nationwide arena with tim mcgraw faith hill and and keith urban with two two nights um a lot of stories about the deals and these are very tough tough deals to to uh, um, bring over the finish line these entertainment deals with tough negotiators um, but I also ran the concerts at Blossom and so the heydays of you know from Talking Heads to Eric Clapton to 
you know, Linda Ronstadt and James Taylor, and Doobie Brothers, Tom Petty, and, and so on and so forth. So um, there are truly so many stories. I don't Can you talk know about how... writers, maybe? Like, you hear these rumors yeah. about, like, you had to have green M&Ms or something. Is there any yeah. writers that you've come across that... Oh, yeah. Is that but real, he... first of all? I mean, is that a thing? It is real. It's absolutely real. But to, in fairness, um, though the brown M&Ms and Van Halen and all that, but I'll give you an example of where it, it got absurd. But in fairness, before I do that, in defense of the artists, you're on the road and you are walking out on stage in front of 18,000 people and you have to be on. And there is a certain reasonableness to consistency of what you can uh, walk into that room, dressing room, and expect to be there in the quality and the in the consistency and so forth. Because variables are not friendly to you when you have that many nerves. Even with seasoned performers, you know, if they're still good, they're still they still have nerves. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, whether it be the Julie Andrews or the Yo-Yo Ma's or the um, uh, you just name them. I, you know, almost everybody I, I presented at one time or another. Uh, it's kind of reasonable, but I did have a um, road manager in essence fired off a tour uh, because there's a lot of anxiousness backstage over the course of the day. It builds and during the load in, and then you're getting close to sound check, which means the artist is about to arrive, uh, and. Um, People, all the people around the artist start to get nervous because if things aren't just right, and or they know that the artist's going to walk in and, you know, be temperamental or whatever, and so they tend to take it out on others. Uh, and so um, I had this uh, road manager come to me and uh, get in my face uh, about the fact that John Cougars, uh, back then John Cougar, now John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, his the cheese that he had uh, requested was cube, not sliced. Yes. And and the reason uh, why I drew the line with him about that is we had sold, you know, done the market and committed the the funds, a lot of funds to uh, bring him, and had executed everything that was required of us beautifully. And for him to, like, get belligerent over something that could have been easily remedied to a team, a partner that day that was delivering for them, was to, to not appreciate the, the quality, the effort, the sincerity, the integrity. And this is one of the things with artists, too, is there is a lot of taking advantage of artists by promoters. And so when they encounter one that's not taking advantage of them, which we consistently did not do that is let me state that so it's not a double negative yeah. <laughs> uh, we did not take advantage we did it right at, at kappa and before that at blossom they don't exactly know what to do with that because they're so used to uh promoters uh you know trying to cut uh edges uh or you know there are all sorts of things that happen at settlements where things expenses get padded and all that so to be a, a house that's taking care of business in a really solid, high-integrity way and have um, episodes like that, I just said, you know, uh, this is just not tenable. And, you know, sort of reached to his folks back in L.A. And uh, next thing you know, a taxi pulled up in the backstage and he got in it and was sent <laughs> oh, home from during, the tour. During the show, I guess, that fast? Yeah. 
Wow. Would you say the uh, level of temperamentality is proportional to the level of fame, or are there some kind of like D-listers no. who are worse than you know the Stones or something? Yeah. Um, so when I worked for Journey, I went over to this stadium outside Philadelphia where we were um, uh, playing the next day, two sold-out nights, and. Um, uh, you know, I was checking on Journey's part of the backstage village. You build this, and when you do stadium dates, you have to like build all the infrastructure, the dressing rooms and everything backstage. So I was checking on that. How long is this podcast? As long as long oh, enough. Okay, yeah. all right, okay. <laughs> we, we, no, we, wanna... We've gone 20 minutes, we've gone okay. an hour. Oh, okay. As right. long as we're getting some good stuff. Yeah, all right, well, continue. you let me know. <laughs> or I guess I'll know whether you did on the yeah. final edited yeah. version. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, so then I went on stage because I wanted to just look out over the stadium. I always have enjoyed uh, with shows or events the moments before uh, the audience comes in and then as the audience comes in. So the moments before the show, uh, that anticipation, the work, you know, from the union members on stage to to the truck drivers that brought the trucks, you realize it's just this fantastic effort. Uh, all sorts of people, the ticket sellers, you know, so on and so forth, that have come together for this moment and in and, and anticipation of that moment and the sound checks and so forth uh, is really great. So anyways, this was the day before. I wanted to go out and just see the stadium empty and imagine it the next day full. And I hear some voices off to my shoulder uh, right shoulder, and I look, and it's Mick Jagger and Bill Graham. Now, I'm in the concert promotion and theater management business at that time, uh, and you know, 99.9% .9 of the people go, "Oh my gosh, Mick Jagger." Well, I'm there, and like, "Oh my gosh, it's Bill Graham." <laughs> and for those who don't know who Bill Graham was on this podcast, he really was the father of the modern concert stage show. So. Starting out at Fillmore West, developed a light show as part of concerts and uh, did all the early days, Jefferson uh, Airplane and, and uh, Santana and, and all those uh, great San Francisco, Janis Joplin, all the Grateful Dead, uh, great San Francisco-oriented uh, bands. And so, but my point is about the, you were asking about artists and D-listers and all that, is I really seldom in my 20 years in that business ever saw anybody so meticulously go over the details of the staging and so forth as I did as I stepped back and watched Mick go Mick Jagger go through the entire um, next day with Graham got on the lift that would take him over the audience and you just you just didn't I haven't seen a lot of that kind of attention to detail. And this is like well into you know his career. So he's not trying to make it at this point. He could be gliding. By the way, on my way out of the compound, when I arrived at the compound, there was uh, nobody other than the security at the gate. On the way out, you know, somehow fans, groupies, always can figure out, even though bands try to you know, go down through obscure exits in, hotel, in hotels and, and, and go out in, in obscure ways. Somehow the fans know where they are all the time. So as we're leaving, uh, there were hundreds of fans at the security and the, the limo, you know, the security gate had to open just incrementally, incrementally and inch out into the, and through the crowd. 
And so the crowd pressed up against the limousine, which had uh, uh, tinted glass, so they really couldn't see well into it, but they all pressed up against the window. I had, I had kind of long hair or whatever, and all of a sudden a fan went, it's Mick! Oh, my God, it's Mick! <laughs> and so I reached over to roll down the window uh, to, and, and to say, no, it's not, and I thought, no, that's all right. I'll ride through the crowd. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and wave and hello. There's at least 10 people telling their kids about how they saw, saw Mick, Mick Jagger. Jagger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So another just quick uh, sound check story, uh, and and you'll have to cut me off because I have a lot of them, is when I was on tour with Boss Gags, he had assembled an unbelievable band. Uh, Boss has taken care of himself beautifully. He's still putting out albums, playing really well. But back then, you know, we were selling out arenas and amphitheaters. But he had assembled band, a band of uh, L.A., uh, well, the Memphis Horns, and then a, a, a number of the top L.A. Uh, session uh, studio musicians. And a couple of them, well, two of them were brothers, but a couple of them knew each other. They had talked about maybe someday forming a band, but I didn't know that. And, and so, you know, each sound check, starting at Red Rocks and, and outside Denver, going across the country, ending up at... Uh, New York's Avery Fisher Hall, uh, now Geffen Hall. Um, these sound checks got, I mean, sound checks are usually just line tests. People are just going through the motions, just make sure that the sound technicians have all their, what they need, and they're tuning to the room. And these sound checks were increasingly really interesting, and they were like, you know, jamming together and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. You know, I'm sitting on a road case, exhausted, because I'm the first one off the bus and the last one uh, on at night. But I noticed that. Lo and behold, what we experienced in those sound checks o- over the course of the tour was the coming together of a band, and that band is Toto. And really? it happened. Yeah, it happened right before our eyes and ears. Uh, and they had talked about it, and that, but they'd actually gelled as a band and, huh. and took off from there. That's really cool. Yeah. One of the things that I have, um, and this is, I think, a sign that I'm getting old, is one of the things I've kind of gotten into in music. And you, when you talked about Boz Gags continuing to do stuff, and you mentioned John Mellencamp, one of the things that I found is really cool is when you see a lot of these musicians from the 80s and the 90s now are coming back around and doing things like... Huey Lewis went and has done a series of albums where he's going back and doing classics from, I don't think it's Chess Records, but I forget which one of the old record labels it is, Mm. and doing that kind of stuff. And it's kind of fun to see Mm -hmm. these bands that are coming back around. Is there anybody like that that you look at that you used to have a relationship and now you see stuff coming out from them that you find interesting? Well, one of the most consistent musicians who really never took a dip uh, was has been Van Morrison. I mean, he just consistently puts out interesting music, good music. Mm-hmm. He's got great band members that have stuck uh, with him. <clears throat> but one of the, you know, artists typically sort of level off to fall off uh, in their uh, talent. But there are a number of musicians I have great reverence for. I've presented them all, uh, like Mel Torme, Rosemary Clooney, Tony Bennett, whose voices got better after they were 70. I mean, it's and Barbara Cook, who was a Broadway uh, artist, it just, like, the phrasing is so, was so nuanced and just, you know, and Tony always ends his shows 
with um, the mics off and the sound off and just, you know, sings to the palace or the Ohio where I presented him uh, um, without any amplification. So, you know, it's interesting to see artists like that uh, even uh, get better. Uh, but it's, it's you know, uh, it's, it's as much managing a career as it is talent and all the marketing that goes into all that and having good, trustworthy management to, to manage careers. Um, another quick story, you know, there were a number of times when couldn't get shows, you know, off at the scheduled time. Uh, I have any number of uh, stories about that, but one was, uh, you might recall that Lyle Lovett was married to Julie Roberts, uh, and wouldn't you know that our Lyle Lovett date on that particular tour at the Ohio Theater was the date that Julie Roberts happened to fly in and, and sort of, you know, uh, see Lyle, which is great, yeah. right? That's sort yeah, of cool, sure. except that they were in the bus, you know, uh, she arrived <laughs> and they were in the bus and it became showtime. And, and none of his crew w would dare no, knock on the bus. I, right? I would not right. do that if right. I wanted to keep and working so, there. Meanwhile, the, the crowd is getting so, you know, and, impatient. And you didn't have Cab Calloway to come out like the Blues Brothers <laughs> and, and kind of entertain him with Minnie the Moocher, right? No. That, that, was, that wasn't an option. So. No, it wasn't. Cab had gone by then. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I knocked on the bus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's showtime. Uh, so anyway, that worked out, fortunately. Uh, but, um, you know, think, my very first... I think if you would have gone out to the crowd and said, hey, here's the deal. He's chilling with Julia Roberts right now, so like, he's going to be late. I think they might have actually understood. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they might have been pleased, but at least they would have known that, like... Yeah. Yeah, maybe they're going to get to see a show, or time. they would have all left and surrounded the the uh, tour bus to see Julia. <laughs> right, well, that's true. Or, or the wrong tour bus and seen like you and, and somebody yeah, right, else. Right. Or something. Hey, you're right. Um, when you see yeah. a a band or an artist, do you have a a sense after all of your different experiences like this one's going to last? This is going to be a one hit wonder or flame out? Or I mean, can you tell they got it or they don't, or is it really just a crapshoot for lack of a better word? Yeah, I, I guess I um, the way I oriented booking talent, and I would want to uh, have them through their whole cycle. So I'd like to discover them. So I used there were four sold, sold out nights that I uh, presented Kenny G one New Year's Eve uh, period of time, and I called his manager, a guy named Dennis Turner, and said, Dennis, I want to put this uh, solo artist. Uh, or I want to put this artist on as an opening act. And he said, like, no, Kreidler, we're, you know, we're going to do a comic. I don't want to mess with the stage. And I said, no, I want to use this slot. You know, I, I'm paying Kenny, and, you know, we sold it out. And, you know, this is, I want to do this. And, again, this is a very pugilistic uh, realm of booking concerts and dealing with agents and managers. And so he got, you know, uh, uh, argumentative, and I wouldn't back down. And he said, well, you know, what instrument do they play? I said, it's just one instrument. It's a piano. And he said, no, we're not going to have a piano go on to Kenny's set. Then you got to really reset everything. And I just I, love the vision of you fighting with Kenny G's manager. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, it, and he was manager to others, too. But And this is at the height of, of Kenny. Kenny, by the way, is an accountant and a really nice guy. I mean, truly, you might not 
some people might not like his music, but he he's really a very nice guy. Anyways, uh, he, he, I, he, I said it's a it's an upright piano, and he says an upright piano. Kreider, you're nuts. No, we're not going to have a piano on. Nobody plays the upright piano. Nobody cares about the uh, opening act. Put a comic on for 20 minutes. And I said, no, I'm going to do this. So I booked it. And the reason I did it is because I believe, this is to your point about uh, spotting, so it wasn't about whether I felt they could make it. It was whether I could discern a sense that they should make it. So I wouldn't predict that they would, but I believe that they were investment grade and should be heard. And so in this case, I prevailed. um, And... uh, you know, we had this guy play the upright piano. And the idea was, is if it did take off, then there was, a you know, the advantage of being able to then work with them through the uh, enlarging of their audiences. And so people arrived. I didn't know who the opening act was. I don't even remember, remember whether I – I think I did put the person's name in the ad. But they arrived. They arrived a little bit late. They're not, you know – really caring about the opening act uh, part of it and talking and whatever. And ladies and gentlemen, da 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 person walks on to an upright piano. It's like, okay. I don't even know what upright piano is. So the, the typical uh, baby grand or grand piano is sort of flat, like like a parallel to the stage. Yeah. And upright is like you might have seen in old-time movies and saloons, you know, where oh, the piano okay. it goes. Think, yeah. think, think, I'll put it in terms for you, um, what – uh, Goose was playing Great Balls of Fire on. Oh, okay. So it's like, okay, now I know. Thank okay. Um, I would have flunked that test, but... Uh, Saloon is also a good reference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where riverboat gambling yeah. happens, it's just to bring that full yeah, circle. Right. <laughs> uh, anyways, so this person walks on, and it's like one by one, you could tell, like, all the conversations was stopping and there was like total attention this guy and it was the debut of harry connick jr i was waiting for the name i I was was waiting for it's 50 50 i'm gonna know who it is or it's gonna fall flat i have no idea that's a big that's a big yeah and so people came away you know the what would that have been ten thousand people or more uh came away from that just being like hugely impressed with the talent that deserved to be seen. He, and that's what he started, started playing, uh, started out playing what's called stride piano yeah. uh, in New Orleans, where his dad was a DA. And, uh, you know, then evolved to vocals. He wasn't singing then even, and evolved, you know, more like a kind of a Frank Sinatra model kind of thing. Um, but, uh, those are the fun things. So, but no, I will say some of the biggest sweethearts that I ever met in in the business was were uh, Julie Andrews, uh, Yo-Yo Ma. There's just not a better human than than Yo-Yo Ma. I mean, extraordinary musician, uh, but always accessible. Um, so, folks like that. But then, you know, but regardless of genre, it could be classical music. I mean, I could tell you. A, you know, some amazing stories about some classical musicians, temperamental classical musicians, but some beautiful ones too. So um, it doesn't mean it all happens in rock and roll. And again, you have to make room for them because there's a lot of nerves associated with laying yourself fully on the line and being judged, uh, you know, by by the ticket buyers who come expecting 
you know, to be impressed. So, so one uh, last stupid question. I'm sorry. This is that's really okay. important. You mentioned groupies looking for uh, Rolling Stones. You mentioned Kenny G. Does Kenny G have groupies? I'm sure he did back then. But it I mean, wasn't like you were getting fighting them off. <clears throat> this. No, no, no. Um, you didn't have Kenny G hair so that you could no. pass No one Kenny thought G. you were no. Kenny G in the no. demo. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, he never got a perm. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first I've admitted never getting a perm on a podcast. So. <laughs> no, they're first for us. Um, so you described the concert business as being pugilistic. Um, that High mean, risk. That means boxing. boxing no, I, I, thank okay. you. Um, High I, risk, tense, a lot of egos, and always trying to exact uh, – Another pound of flesh from the other side of the table is is how it's done in that business. So how do you go from that to being running a large community foundation that is about building partnership? And then also, I think one of the things that I think you've done really well is um, making your organization always be part of the conversation. And then, frankly... Um, one of your signature things is having your organization be what starts the conversation. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about stewardship. It was, it was a completely seamless transition because in both cases, though I, the uh, selection of artists, the discerning about talent and deciding who to bring to town and expanding our footprint, the theaters in Chicago, New Haven and all that, um, and all of that, in selecting artists, presenting artists, hosting uh, the resident uh, groups and trying to support them in the theaters, it was always about creating a dynamic, better community. So all the artists and so forth were means to an end of stewardship, of, of civic progress, growth in terms of experience and quality of life, and so the mood to the foundation is the same thing. It's stewardship with a different platform, but the, the, the ultimate or, or delivery mechanism and value creation, but the ultimate overall reason to care is the same. And that is, that's why when tempted with offers from Carnegie Hall to Kennedy Center and so forth, I, I said, you know, I, I did realize somehow I did not know a soul when I came to Columbus, Ohio was recruited here. I was going to, I was about to enter Ohio State Law School, but got last second, um, in fact, two UA residents, the Venettas, huh. uh, said to me, uh, a couple of pre-COVID uh, at an event, they said, hey, we, we didn't know you were in our law class. And I said, I wasn't. And they said, no, you were. And I said, uh, no, I didn't go to law school. And they said, no, we were at a reunion the other night and saw uh, the picture of the incoming class, and you were in it. And it, so that's how close it got yeah. to, but I got convinced to to uh, come and take over uh, and lead Kappa as they were about to file for bankruptcy uh, because of the uh, over, the overrun, cost overruns of expanding the Ohio Theater. I did so because I had a sense. Nobody told me I didn't read it. I had a sense that Columbus's time was now, even back then, that yeah. was 38 years ago. And um, later, Don Fanta, who ran the Ohio company, 
once said to me that he thinks that uh, the reason that Columbus has um, its best days ahead is because we were not founded on a navigable waterway. Mm. And that, that meant that our growth, our glory days, weren't tied to old industry, but our possibilities were now. And so to answer your question with that in mind, the fact that we were co-create, we have the ability in this cycle of life to co-create a great community, whether it be the community I live in in UA or the, the broadly the region, is an awesome opportunity. And the through line from the office of Kappa to the office of the foundation is exactly the same because that's the mindset is what can I do to help our community progress and grow, get better, enhance quality of life and opportunity and experiences and how to serve the community in that way. So there was zero transition from that standpoint. So um, what for our listeners, um, we've talked about two of them. My wife knows what the foundation is. I don't know that Darren's dad My knows. dad might not. Your so, dad yeah. might not know what the foundation is. Yeah. What is the foundation today? Yeah. So we help donors help others through the most effective philanthropy possible as a, as a simple proposition to, to um, those who create funds at the foundation and so forth. It's all private. There's nothing public. But overall, the mission is to help strengthen and improve the community for the benefit of all of its residents. And so with that in mind, what uh, the undertaking is, it's a, it is a 501c3 uh, who creates funding vehicles for families, individuals, and companies uh, to be effective philanthropists. And there is a huge uh, array of community knowledge that we have, of philanthropic knowledge that we have, uh, in working with a whole array of advisors that people have, legal and professional, uh, pretty good problem solvers on uh, uh, you know, challenges of legacy or challenges of uh, transfer of wealth or what have you. And we create a better community through the enlargement of charitable giving. And by building a trusted institution born in the middle of World War II, think about that. You got war in the Pacific, you got war in the Atlantic, you got factories being turned over to the war effort instead of their usual production of goods. You have worry about young men going off to war and whether they'll return. Worry of the survival of civilization as we know it. And hey, in the middle of that, let's think about taking care of others and start a community foundation. So from its roots, it cares about others and it is there to serve others and affect progress of the community through the expansion of charitable giving. And the way you do that is create that trusted institution. And, you know, our legal counsel is, is right here from uh, uh, internal legal counsel, general counsel is right here from UA, and I think you know him, Brad Britton, yep. who's outstanding. Uh, so from, uh, you know, there's a lot of UA influence in, in uh, our leadership, but from the legal to the financial to the investment, the idea is when You've worked hard for your money, and you may know how to save or, or, you know, if you've done well, maybe build a company or what have you. 
I mean, Warren Buffett said it best. He knows how to do that really well. But what he'd like to do is make sure that he's just as effective giving it away and, and having it his success benefit others as well. And so that's really the, the, uh, uh, the service that we provide. So um, one of the things that I've appreciated about working with you and your team is um, the extent to which you all don't just focus on working with your existing donor base and your existing philanthropist, but you really do try and bring everybody into conversations. And um, one of the things that I love about Columbus as a whole, and I think the same is true in Upper Arlington, is that um, in some ways, because of what you talked about, about us not being a traditional industries city, we'll take in anybody with a good idea. Mm-hmm. Anybody with a good idea who's willing to work to make it happen gets integrated into this community, I think, really well. Um, talk a little bit about the things that you've done to do that and the things that you all have done to um, engage more people in the community and really kind of expand what it means to give to this community. Mm-hmm. So there's a it's sort of a, a service element to what we do for our donors. We're very dedicated to that. That's our orientation. That is our value creation. Um, but we also understand that if we know the community, care about the community to the extent that we do, we know about philanthropy and we know, uh, you know a bit about technology, that we can also and should also exhibit a, a heightened public value where we leverage all that we know into something that's publicly accessible to, again, large large philanthropy and charitable giving to to support others. Add to that the fact that I believe that a knowledge-based, a community knowledge-based and community-caring-based organization like ours um, should make a contribution to building a community spirit. Uh, because what we know about the community is that it's a great place to live, work, and play, and it, it is a, um, a place that, again, is becoming something greater uh, seemingly every day. Uh, and if we all join together, or as many of folks that uh, we can join together uh, to build a better tomorrow, then we should create opportunities uh, for participation across the community. So the first one we did was we created the first uh, online day of giving in America. Uh, And, uh, you know, it was was a really extraordinary success. Fast forward to the last one we did, which was during 2020, June of 2020, and raised in one day um, $30 million for uh, charities across the community uh, from uh, every state in the country and 12, 12 different countries around the world, uh, and obviously the preponderance of folks uh, here locally. Uh, and without, I mean, it's a very costly undertaking, and there's not a hidden penny or dime or anything that comes to the foundation. But what we do is it's a rally, uh, you know, for giving uh, to support others in our community and to strengthen. Uh, the social fabric of the community. So 
it's it's a if you will an elective exercise there's nothing you know business wise or anything like that 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 uh, hinges on that happening uh, but it is a meant to be a way to it, it, it incentivize and inspire people uh, to come together uh, to uh, help organizations in need and there was a lot of need uh, then with a lot of nonprofits under duress serving uh, uh, folks with high degree of vulnerability. The other one is the big table, which is all about human connection and just happened a few weeks ago. And I know that, you know, there are a number of conversations here uh, in the community. Uh, and there it's really kind of in the hands of those who participate. It's not something that we dictate what the outcome should be. It, we just use our marketing, uh, uh, you know, know-how uh, to try to inspire a day of conversations and there were some, just a huge array of, of places and people participating this year. It's always such an inspiring uh, time. And so those are examples. We also had the Center for Human Kindness, which is, a, it just simply exists to, to uh, try to encourage and inspire kindness to, to each other. Um, you know, you're wearing those, the viewers who are not, uh, or the listeners who are not uh, uh, lucky enough to, to see what I see. I see our hosts are wearing Fred Rogers-like uh, red sweaters, uh, and certainly Fred Rogers uh, care a lot about kindness. And uh, in that spirit, uh, in, inspired by somebody who uh, who lived in UA, uh, doesn't currently, but uh, Another UA legacy, uh, we who's, who sort of funded the early days of our kindness program. Uh, uh, you know, we we have kept that going, and the gifts of kindness helps a family avoid uh, homelessness. Actually, more than one family a, a day now. Uh, so these are all ways that have nothing to do with like business or revenue to us or anything. But it's just kind of like quiet leveraging of, of what we care about and our, our skills of our people uh, to create a stronger region. And, you know, one of the things I do appreciate about the work you guys do is you work with other foundations. So you mentioned Brad Britton earlier, and Brad is an advisor to the UA Community Foundation. I know he's been a huge help to Jessica Grise, and you mentioned the Gifts of Kindness program. I think that was part of the inspiration for us putting together the Good Neighbor Fund yeah. in UA, and we've got that same kind of thing. Because there are people in need everywhere, and yep. having having the the big foundation there um, to be um, uh, the guide to help all the kind of foundations that are doing smaller, not smaller, more local yeah. work. I think is fantastic. Yeah, so, from Dublin to UA to Bexley to New Albany, we are in service to uh, to many other community. Um, philanthropic efforts and you know that kind of local uh, touchstone is important and fortunately in each of those cases they're really uh, uh, very well run and in UA there's you know there's already a uh, really a, a great body of work to build on and, and a lot of things that they care deeply about and certainly uh, uh, the, the community center is is off to a good start it seems in funding. Uh, Good start, but we're not finished. So all our listeners who haven't uh, contributed to that campaign, please feel free to do so and visit the Community Center website. Um, so um, what do you see as 
kind of the next big thing around what's the next big opportunity what's the next big challenge however do you, you want to phase it for the columbus region um as a whole how to be ready and what i mean by that is uh the amount of growth that we're going to uh uh, see in this community, I mean, uh, truly, I think that uh, the glory days of Columbus in terms of things that the world recognizes um, are happening here. And then, you know, hopefully with institutions like ours and others in the community and and folks like uh, uh, our, our good governments uh, like UAs, uh, you know, that they'll be, they'll be able to be enjoyed by many. Uh, if not all, uh, but the, the, the amount of growth, economic uh, growth in this region is going to be extraordinary. That does create challenges associated with, you know, everything from affordable housing to transit access to so on and so on. And um, we're very mindful of that, very mindful of that. Uh, you know, of all organizations being mindful of the array of that, I think that Columbus Foundation uh, with its community research is mindful of that. However, um, what our, uh, uh, there's a man named Trabian Shorters who likes to talk about complex uh, equity issues and so forth around asset framing. And, and you can kind of get just by its name what it's, what it's uh, designed to do. And that is our hope, which is that we see the opportunity associated with this. And we keep in a positive mindset about growth uh, where we can uh, see the benefits of it, but do what's important to do to realize the benefits of it. And so that's why I encapsulate that into ready. How can we as a community be ready? And we've studied the other communities. And the thing about Austin is they got behind, uh, Steve of all people, and I want to give a yeah. shout out to Steve Shoney here for a moment because I have worked with him in, in earlier iterations. Uh, all kidding about uh, funny uh, riverboat <laughs> uh, gambling anecdotes aside, you have one of the most skilled development uh, uh, professionals uh, anywhere in, in Steve Shoney, so the UA is very uh, fortunate. But there is a, uh, a, a hope that we can realize Austin new growth was coming, and it came faster than they thought. Uh, and so uh, it... it you know, they sort of miss the opportunity. So regional planning, uh, you know, the whole planning around corridors and understanding the imperative of some degree of density, which is obviously uh, a difficult conversation in many, uh, many uh, communities, um, our, our, is our responsibility to make sure that we balance quality of life with opportunity uh, for the next generations um, in terms of jobs, in terms of having our kids. I remember going to a Chamber of Commerce annual meeting in probably 85, 86, and Mel Schottenstein, so that for those who don't know, it's the M in the MI Homes, um, did an address, and he said that we need to build a community where our kids and grandkids want to live and stay. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately, in UA, there are a lot of examples where people have decided multi-generationally to stay uh, or to live in future generations. But just think regionally about that. 
and how can we ensure from all, in all sorts of respects uh, our ability to continue to do that. And that's a win from economic development is, you know, instead of having to visit uh, your kids or grandkids, you know, plane rides away, uh, that this is a, a compelling city of opportunity, region of opportunity, uh, that they can, they can make a good life and a good career right here. And that doesn't happen by sliding backwards. That doesn't happen by uh, not pursuing the opti or not nurturing the optimism of taking risks and and and, and uh, investing in things uh, by letting time pass your community by. And all you have to do, and I'm not going to cite names of communities, but there are a lot of communities we know well in this region where. They, they do know that the glory days are behind them, and that's why they're losing population, and that's why we're gaining, is there's a sense of optimism and that the best days can be ahead. So we want to help have our community, have our region in any way we can to be ready. It's interesting. So I came into this job a little over three years ago now, and you know one of my worries was <clears throat> how much uh, change this community, Upper Arlington, would be able to handle. And, and I've stopped using the term change because I think what this community wants and expects and desires is evolution. And I think as a, a, as a kind of community as a whole, I think Central Ohio is like, yeah, we're, we're ready to evolve into the next version of us. And it's interesting, we did a, a community survey um, that we got back a month and a half ago. Um, we do it every three to five years. And um, Fourth question out of the box, um, without, uh, it's an open-ended question is, um, what's your greatest concern um, about our community? And the number one answer was the lack of diversity. Mm -hmm. um, in 2017, when they asked that question, 3% of people gave that as their answer. Um, summer 2002, it's 26%. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a recognition in our community that yeah, we, we, we need to evolve. We recognize how the world is changing, and, you know, you see it across a lot of things. We've got a lot of multifamily going up that community has talked a lot about. We know it's a lot of change. We, there are not everybody's happy about it, but I think when you talk to the bulk of people, they look at the, wor they look at the world around them and say, this is what our community needs to incorporate. Not change to, but we need to figure out how to um, take Balance. the best of what's new and work it into what's been great. And I think that's one of the things that I love about working in this community is you've got people who can see that kind of vision. So we wrap up every interview with two questions mm -hmm. um, flip, uh, that uh, are kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, what do you love about UA and what would you change? I can imagine any answer I'd come up with has already been said, so I, I hate to be... You could say nothing, but that'd be kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And as you could tell, so far I'm, I, you know, I have a hard time uh, coming up with any words on any topic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so I guess the one I would emphasize uh, for me, because my work has consistently always been outside of UA. Mm -hmm. You know the the concerts or sporting events that I go to or outside of UA uh, is how do you beat the 
quality of life, not only of what's in UA, mm-hmm. which I'm sure all your other guests have found ways to, to celebrate, and so I could say the same things. But I just, I guess my little feature emphasis would be the, the, the proximity. Yeah. Um, because with, through the proximity becomes further engagement. If it was not proximate, there might be more excuses not to stay engaged, not to participate in events downtown, whether festivals or cultural events or even the restaurants or what have you. And it is, you know, downtown is, is, is the mayor you worked for yeah. uh, often would say is everybody's neighborhood. And I think we do have a vested interest in downtown. So the one I would emphasize, whether it be a 10-minute bike ride to an Ohio State football game to, uh, you know, a 30-minute uh, bike ride to my office, uh, it's, I, I just think that that's a huge feature that so many other people who live in so-called great communities, uh, you know, lament, or at least when they hear about it, they think you're, you know, you're not being, uh, uh, you know, truthful. Right. How quickly you could get to everything, how quickly you could get home, and how many minutes you therefore haven't spent uh, in a uh, in a car waiting around um, getting somewhere. Yeah, that that is um, that was a big thing for my wife and I when we moved here. We moved here long. We've lived here long before I had this job, and it was, do I really want to spend an hour of my life um, listening to drive time radio? Yeah. Or, or podcast. A podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doug, thanks for being on. It's fantastic to catch up with you. Um, You're welcome. Darren, do you have any final words of wisdom? No, I appreciate you bearing with my stupid questions. I'm fascinated by the music industry because uh, yeah. I'm, I'm as far away from that as possible being musically like tone deaf. So and who do you listen to? Like, when you drive home tonight, who would be on your radio? Who would just likely be on your radio? I don't know if I should admit this, but I would probably have Snoop Dogg on my radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I, I don't. I, have you ever any any of those kind of artists? Like any? No. Uh, that kind of music. No. Although when I did Aretha Franklin, she had her uh, son uh, as a surprise opening act, and um, uh, it, it, it that was not advertised or anything. So he walked on and did his. Uh, very unusual set and uh, it's very <laughs> contemporary and not to the like of like folks who had bought Aretha Franklin yeah. tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so you had an impromptu. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Aretha was one of the, I could, uh, we're out of time, so I won't, but there are some great stories about paying artists. Like some artists don't trust managers to take the settlements or trust checks and so they want cash and oh. i mean they're getting paid you know yeah a lot of money backstage uh and some of the artists themselves want you know want to count out the the money so whether it be dizzy gillespie to willie nelson in his in his uh uh, uh bus and and yes all the rumors are true yeah uh, and, and the green uh, smoke following Willie's bus, yeah. Yes, uh, and uh, to Rita Franklin, uh, you know, just some fascinating Bob Dylan. There's some fascinating stuff that happens, you know, backstage when you're actually settling after the art has yeah. happened. <laughs> well, and Aretha and her generation of uh, of black art. I mean, they had they 
had all been stolen from it. Exactly. Had, it's yeah. a, once again, it's back to the promoters. Not every promoter, but but a lot of promoters <laughs> would try to take advantage, and uh, so they learned. Yep. Well, I appreciate. It. I've learned a lot today. I have too. <laughs> it's always good to see you, my friend. Thank you very much for the invite, and uh, to the listeners, I appreciate your patience. And- <laughs> <laughs> All right.